Open Entertainment, the podcast dedicated to public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher, and stop the presses. Here is my co-host, the woman with a byline as good as her headline. It's Lydia. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I have to oh. stop myself after every one of your flattering inter introductions, I uh, always have to bite my tongue and not say something inappropriate. Hi, Christopher. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Lydia. How are you? I'm great. <laughs> I'll, I'll admit it. I was I was struggling to come up with a pun of any kind uh, for your introduction this, <laughs> this month. <laughs> yeah. I'm, again, I just feel like I should just keep biting that tongue right there. So. <laughs> yeah. Could, I could have just done something generic like X-Tree, X-Tree. My notes are printed on X-Trees. I don't know. <laughs> Well, I was, I said, oh, jeez. I said to do the <laughs> Oh, yeah, there you go. Okay, Shiny. yes, I was live in the 80s, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> well, excellent. Well, as you can tell, I think we're both in a great mood, so we're, I think we're going to have fun discussing this month's uh, film. Uh, before we do that, I, of course, wanted to remind everyone that you can get Orphan Entertainment by subscribing via iTunes or Stitcher Radio. And any feedback or comments on any of our episodes, past or present, can be sent to orphanentertainment at gmail.com. And you can join our Facebook group. Go to facebook.com and search for Orphan Entertainment. And, of course, the YouTube channel where you can subscribe and be up to date on all the films that we're going to review. And uh, thanks to everyone who has already done so on any of the above. It's uh, much appreciated. We love hearing from you and seeing those numbers grow. So with that, we are going to take a little break and play a little promo. And when we get back, we're going to start this crazy thing. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Ah, necrophilia. Ah, ah, ah. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could it's get out of here. unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything Dude, that kept little history up. doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was. How did you watch this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. All right, we are back. We are going to discuss 1931's pre-code comedy film, The Front Page. This film was directed by Lewis Milestone and stars... Uh, you're going to have to help me with this last name. Is it Adolf Menjo? I would say Menju. Or, Menju? Yeah, or, I like Menju. Yeah, that okay. works. <laughs> it sounds a little French. <laughs> That's what we're going to go with. <laughs> it does. Uh, anyway, yeah, Adolf Menju and Pat O'Brien... It is based on a Broadway play of the same name, 
and it was produced by Howard Hughes. You know, I was thinking, okay, where do I want to focus some of the notes on this <laughs> one? And uh, I was thinking, oh, I, I should definitely talk about Howard Absolutely. Hughes. But actually, I changed my mind <laughs> about Midstream. But? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I figured since our last film that we discussed, Rain, uh, turned out was directed by Lewis Milestone as well, I thought it might be fun to uh, look into uh, him a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Before we get into that, though, I actually just realized I have an entire paragraph just about the film, so I'm going to go and read that. The film, uh, the front page, has actually been remade or adapted many times. Or I should say the story, like I said, it was based on a Broadway play. Uh, CBS Radio turned it into a one-hour episode of Academy Award Theater with O'Brien and Menju reprising their roles. There was a 1937 episode of Lux Radio Theater with Walter Winchell and James Gleason. And again on the radio in 1948 on the Ford Theater, starring Ed Bagley Sr. and Everett Sloan. The story was adapted for Howard Hawks' comedy His Girl Friday in 1940. A 1974 remake, The Front Page, starred Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau. And in 1988, Burt Reynolds, Kathleen Turner, and Christopher Reeve tried a little bit of an update uh, with Switching Channels. Really? Yeah, this story has been quite influential since it's 1931. Well, I guess since the Broadway play, <laughs> which you know, I, I didn't even look to see when that actually started. So this story has been, it's been with us for a while. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'd say since 1980, we're due for a, a, another <laughs> We one. are, aren't we? That we're remaking everything else from the 80s. It's time to do this one, too. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, this 1931 film was directed by Lewis Milestone, director of our last film, Rain. Uh, Milestone was best known for directing films like uh, Two Arabian Nights in 1927 and All Quiet on the Western Front in 1930, both of which he received Academy Awards for Best Director. He was also nominated for this one, for the front page. And he did the 1960 Ocean's Eleven. Was that the original? Yes, it was. I thought it was. Yeah, that's coming up. Yeah, you know, oh, he directed I, several. <laughs> yeah, Yeah, well, it's all right. He directed several movies throughout the war years that defended the fight against the Nazis in Japan. But after the war, he actually found himself blacklisted as a suspected communist sympathizer. He left the U.S. until the scare would calm down a bit and returned to directing. He made two more films, including Ocean's Eleven in 1960 and Mutiny on the Bounty in 1962. Mm -hmm. Ocean's Eleven, of course, uh, hit. It was a very popular film. Mutiny on the Bounty how on the Bount- Bounty Bounty Yes. <laughs> Mutiny on the Bounty however bombed at the box office. Uh, with no other film work coming his way, Milestone turned to television, which kept him pretty busy for a while, uh, before he finally retired due to health reasons. He passed away in 1980. Lewis Milestone's last request before he died was for Universal Pictures to release All Quiet on the Western Front to its original length. Mm. It was originally 152 minutes long. It was trimmed to 147 minutes for European release, uh, which was then censored to 145 minutes. And the general release was shortened to 10 reels. And assuming this was 35 millimeter, that's about 110 minutes. Milestone's request was finally granted some 20 years later when the Library of Congress remastered and restored as much of All Quiet on the Western Front as existed. Unfortunately, much of the original print has been lost. Mm -hmm. Uh, This current and most complete version is about 133 minutes long. Wow, so still another 17 minutes missing. 
just missing and most likely never to be Lost. found again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very unfortunate. Uh, real interesting director, and I feel bad about, well, obviously, anytime uh, an actor or a director or anyone is blacklisted like that, he really seemed to kind of lose a little bit of steam uh, when he had to kind of retire from U.S. Uh, directing mm-hmm. and you know go to Europe. Apparently he directed some films in Europe, but it just really seemed like it kind of knocked the wind out of him. And he came back, he really didn't get the uh, momentum back that he had with uh, his earlier works. Sorry that he didn't direct more. Uh, I really, and we'll get into this as we get into this film, but, you know, in Rain, I didn't really find the directing much of a, as a standout. On this film, I think it really stands out. There's some moments in this film that you could tell that the directing is a huge, huge reason why a lot of this film works. Before I get into the synopsis, I should mention, since I mentioned the Library of Congress, this film, the front page, has actually been or was selected by the Library of Congress for preservation. Mm. So that's actually a really great thing that they're they're doing and they're selecting films for being uh, culturally or just culturally significant. I forget the actual, remember the uh, the, the terminology, but I know it's culturally or historically significant. Mm -hmm. Um, and we'll maybe we'll get into. I that can a little see bit. that I, with this. Yeah. yeah, with this film specifically, I can see it being indicative of the times when it was made. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. All right. Well, we'll get into this a little bit. We start out with a really great credit sequence for this film. I mean, I don't know how you'd start it with any other way. <laughs> you, the credits are actually printed on newspaper, and you're flipping through the newspaper as if you're reading it, getting the uh, the name of the film, the director, and all the actors. And I thought it was really great. I mean, they literally list with photos just about everyone yeah, that's in the film. Do. <laughs> that is awesome. I think even. Even like the cleaning lady that was in the film for maybe two minutes, I think was it was in this credit sequence. I thought that was so much fun. And we do get a little title card that says that this story is laid in a mythical kingdom. With the, I thought uh, that was kind of interesting. What's the tune in the background? Da, 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 da. Was that it? Yeah, da, it was. Da, da. It was. It was very European. <laughs> It seemed kind of, kind of, kind of British or something for a story that's set in, uh, not sure Chicago maybe or some yeah, town like I that. I would imagine Chicago. Chicago, I think, was one of the last cities actually doing hangings. Oh, uh, that's true. Well, yeah. Then we jump right into that too, where we find ourselves <laughs> at the gallows, and a couple of men testing the, the the gallows, testing the rope and the trap door, and apparently, uh complaining to the one guy that supplied the rope at the last hanging they bounced up and down like he was on a spring and <laughs> see if he can get the see if he can get it tighter we were trying to hang him not you know, like Ooh. pop his head off uh, uh, well, yeah. did you notice too the the bag that they're using to test it it says something or other flower guarantees a happy home life or something <laughs> like that and they're using that to to test the rope yeah, a little, little disturbing that this is, I mean, I guess it's kind of weird to think that this is a job. This is something they had to, yeah, <laughs> they really had to do. <laughs> well, we move into the press room in the criminal court building, and we have a table full of reporters from various papers waiting for the hanging and any stories. And we get to hear uh, one of the reporters working on a story of a possible peeping Tom. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really funny. Men will be men. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was such a really great little scene with some very 
I'll, I'll say realistic dialogue yeah. <laughs> <laughs> among a bunch of guys sitting around a table well, with something like this going on. And the one guy says, tell her to come here. We'd like to reenact the crime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the peeping Tom. <laughs> yeah. Ask her, was she worth peeping on? Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> Another reporter busts in after interviewing the accused man. Uh, his story, of course, I thought was funny. He comes back after interviewing this poor guy and his story the dirty conditions of the death house. Yes. And <laughs> I think does it he's a line amazing any of the prisoners live long enough to be executed. <laughs> Worth noting, um give me just a second. I gotta remember I gotta figure out this guy's name because he has been yes. in tons of stuff with Fred Astaire. I mean he is just one of those he often plays the overexcitable character, but he was in the original Shall We Dance with Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Hilarious oh, part. Um, can't think of his name right offhand, though. <laughs> I can't think of his name either. I meant to look it up because I also think I, I double checked and his voice sounded really familiar. I think he did a lot of voice acting uh, through the 50s and 60s through some animated uh, stuff. I believe he did some voice acting in the old Rocky and Bullwinkle show. Uh, maybe even narrating like that, the uh, the Aesop fables mm-hmm. that they used to do, if you remember that. It is... Wait, I got his name. I got his name. <laughs> Edward Everett Horton. <laughs> mm. And if you there look you him go. up, you'll find him in dozens and dozens of films. And he's worth noting. He's always one of my favorite characters because he's the guy that doesn't quite have his head on straight. But I just it was <laughs> as soon as I saw him, I recognized him. And he's this has got to be one of his earlier movies. Yeah, no, I, he was a lot of fun throughout this entire film. Yes. And it, this is. I mean, this is as good as time as any to just talk about that this is, I, I don't know how to describe it, a very much a character piece. I mean, when you're watching this, you can almost see the groundwork being laid for um, later sitcoms and stuff mm-hmm. where ensemble cast, that's what it is. It, it, it really becomes kind of an ensemble, ensemble cast sort of film. I see the groundwork for things like Barney Miller. Or uh, even the old, the Kolchak, which Kolchak had like a, a character that reminded me a lot of this particular uh, reporter mm-hmm. and the whole the kind of clean freak and he always goes for he goes to the interview the the somebody and then comes back with the oh my god the the living conditions were horrible like wait a minute this guy's about to die and you're yes. complaining about the germs <laughs> yeah uh, exactly. it was really kind of fun yeah. Well, during all this, a couple of calls come in from Mr. Burns looking for Hildy Johnson. Apparently, Hildy is the star reporter of the Morning Post. And uh, Mr. Burns, I guess, is the uh, the editor of the paper. And I, did you catch, too, the dialogue along here? Yes, Mr. Burns. I hear you, Mr. Burns. I love that every time somebody's talking to him on the phone, they just they end everything they say with Mr. Burns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's no doubt who's on yeah, the phone. And it's, it's very, they yeah, definitely respect him. <laughs> yeah. But yes. Um, no, Hildy Johnson isn't here. No, I'm not lying to you, Mr. Burns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the boys suspect that Hildy has quit, which uh, surprises a lot of them. They figure he's part of the kind of, what do they call him? He's a, a you know, a fixture at the post. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he goes with the furniture. and. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we cut to Mr. Burns, who is just tired of calling and getting not not getting the answer that he wants, and he's on a rampage looking for Johnson. He's got newsboys and a guy that looks like a stooge from the mob. I think it was Diamond Louie <laughs> out looking for him, and they are checking every you know speakeasies, gambling houses, any place that apparently Hildy Johnson's ever been known to hang out. <laughs> 
All of ill repute, of course. Exactly, exactly. Well, Hildy is the is at the one place that probably no one would ever think to look for him. He's at the marriage license bureau. Yes. Honey, I'd write the society note to get a look at Walter Burns' face when he hears of this. Oh, I'd write it for a year to see when he hears I'm getting married. Oh, I've had it for two years to get a lot of what he says when I'm leaving this town for that New York. What's the matter? Oh, so that's why you got that. Walter Burns. That's why you're going to marry me. Walter Burns. That's why you're going to New York. To fight Walter Burns. Oh, honey, you're crazy. Now listen. I, I, I do love Hildy's, you know... Did you ever come out of the sewer? Oh my gosh, yes. He tries to start again three times, and these people keep looking at him like, what are you saying? Yeah. Did you ever come up out of a sewer and have the cool, fresh air hit you? Well, I did. And honey, you're the cool, fresh air. You've made a fresh air feed out of me, dear. And I'm not going back there unless you send me. Well, the two of them, Peggy and Hilly, they hatch a plan to uh, to get out of town a little sooner than they planned so they can try to avoid the bumping into Mr. Burns. They're both pretty concerned. That they, they, they understand that Mr. Burns has a little bit of power over Hildy. <laughs> well, and it is interesting. I didn't catch it the first time I, I saw it, but the second time, the guys, before you even cut to Hildy and Peggy, the guys in the news office are talking and they say, yeah, he had a guy thrown in jail for assault and battery because the guy wanted to go on his honeymoon. So Burns right. is a crafty guy. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that, I think, throughout. Well, Peggy gives Hildy $500 to buy some train tickets and make arrangements. That's $500 as a wedding present. Uh, was it supposed to be from her, was it a, an uncle or her father? I don't I, think her father no, was around. I caught it as an uncle. I think that's accurate. Yeah, okay. Yep, that's what I thought. Yeah, so he's supposed to use this money to get the tickets and make arrangements to get them to New York. Well, unfortunately, Mr. Burns, who's decided to go out on the hunt himself, spots Hildy heading into Peggy and her mother's apartment. Well, Burns takes a stroll down to the corner <laughs> and sets off a fire alarm. <laughs> Stinker. <laughs> we, uh, we cut in into the interior of uh, Peggy's apartment, and we get a kind of a fun scene of Hildy helping Peggy pack her dresses. I love the, um, <laughs> is this the dress you were wearing when we first met? She's like, yes. And he looks at another dress and he's like, is this the dress th- that you were wearing when you said no? <laughs> she says yes. And he throws it, Wads it, it up into, into, the, <laughs> into the trunk. I love that. It was really cute. It is very cute. Well, of course, the uh, fire engines and everything tearing down the street kind of gets Hildy's attention. And so he, he heads out. I think he plans on kind of calling in a quick story on his way to uh, get the tickets for him. Down on the street, of course, he bumps into Mr. Burns. He burns corners Hildy and uh, threatens to turn Hildy in for t- <laughs> reporting a false alarm. So there's there's a little bit of the crafty Mr. Burns. Yes. Uh, you get the impression that there really is nothing too low that Mr. No. <laughs> Mr. Burns will stoop. <laughs> Burns takes Hildy to a bar and wants to know why, why he's leaving him for marriage and... He does his best to sow some uh, seeds of doubt into Hildy's head. Set him up. Run for me. He'll take the same. So you're leaving me for marriage? Why? None of your business. How'd it happen? It was a moon. Well, I guess that lets me out. I'll give you a farewell party. Thanks. But it hurts, Hildy. 
You're not telling a fellow after all I've done for you. You mean after all you've done to me? By the time you sent me down the lake to test that trick diving suit. That suit was about as waterproof as your straw hat. Fell so fast, it took me half an hour to pull me up. It was lucky I only went fast. Didn't I go to the expense of hiring an airplane to take you up so you could get your hearing back? And at the further expense of bribing the pilot so I landed him in the middle of a strike massacre at Heron on the noise? You spoke the whole world on the story, you made yourself the envy of every newspaper man alive. Oh, well, it was worth it at that. Even if I did get ridden out of town in the rain. With eight bullet holes in a hat that cost me six bucks. And charged on the expense account at fifteen. And got away with it. <laughs> <laughs> ah, those are the days. You certainly have a lot to tell the kids. Yeah. What kids? You're getting married. Well, why not? A guy's got to settle down sometime. Get a home and wife and say kids that hold it all together. That's right. I was never big enough to let a nice girl reform me so I could stay in a two-room love nest at nights with a wife and kids while the fellas were out having a lot of fun. Oh, dear. Marriage does make a respectable citizen out of a man. It must be grand. None of this idiotic jumping around at all hours and having to be on the inside of all the crazy excitement in this town. Ah, the 515 out to some quiet suburb. A home-cooked dinner every night at exactly seven and by ten in bed. Unless, after the tapioca, the wife has a few friends in for a neighborly chat. I don't blame you, Hildy. It sounds great. I like the little play they had with the glasses. Yes. You know, they come in and Hildy's like, no, I don't want anything. And Burns is like, he'll have the same as I am. And a couple shot glasses and he pours them. And of course, Hildy just goes and takes a drink and Burns just moves the just, poured glass yes, over. Yes, he pours just one keeps for himself and them. just passes it over, passes it over. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah but Burns never actually t- touches a drop and they go through probably four shots. Oh, gosh, yes, right away. <laughs> well, Hildy sneaks out through the ba- what I took as the bathroom window. <laughs> And uh, tries to to, uh, to escape Mr. Burns. Back in the press room, an officer, uh, who the boys call Wooden Shoes, comes in. He's apparently been over the death house and tells the boys that uh, Williams, the accused, the guy that's due to be hanged, uh, well, he overheard him talking to the priest, and he heard Williams tell the priest that he was innocent. And, made, and Wooden Shoes thinks that maybe Williams has got as a quote-unquote dual personality type. <laughs> I just. And what does he say? You can tell by the shape of his shape of his head. Yes. <laughs> I just thought you got boys would be interested in the psychological aspect. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to give him a story. Well, Hildy, Hildy busts in just as Burns calls again. Now, Hildy takes the call and gives Burns an earful and resigns. Hildy refuses to cover the hanging. And he fills in the boys on him getting married, and uh, he's going to be joining an ad firm in New York. They, of course, immediately assume he was going to go join a paper in New York and be all foo-fooey and reporting <laughs> on society pages and stuff. But nope, he's leaving the newspaper racket. So you guys are going to be all stooped over and, and cranky in the newsroom at 90. He's like, not, not me. 150 bucks a week he's going to make. That's good money. Mm-hmm. It's almost what I make. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the cleaning lady comes in to try to clean up the room. 
And uh, <laughs> little premature <laughs> chuckle there, people. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> it is so much fun. It, Things keep getting thrown out the window of this particular press room. Yeah. And so Hildy decides, the, Hilde, the cleaning lady comes, Hildy tells her, like, ah, oh, no, come on, let's let's go off, come with me, and we'll we'll say goodbye to everyone in the building and goes to start dancing <laughs> with he her. Says, He's like, well, we can't take this. He says, are not your fella anymore? What's wrong? And he kisses yeah. her. <laughs> this old cleaning lady. And he takes the uh, the bucket of soapy water from her. He says, we can't go around with this. And throws it through the window. <laughs> lands in what, a horse trough or something like that. Yeah, a big old bucket of water, I think. <laughs> yeah. And so he, the cleaning lady and a mop, go <laughs> gallivanting, dancing <laughs> off through the halls to say goodbye to everyone in the building. Well, just as he leaves, of course, who who walks in but the sheriff, Sheriff Hartman. And he wants to know who keeps throwing stuff out the window. <laughs> The boys have zero respect for the sheriff, in case you didn't notice. <laughs> With good reason, it turns out. <laughs> yeah, it turns out. They accuse the sheriff of using the hanging as a political move, as the elections are oh, about no uh, are next week. no politician ever did that. No, Please. not at <laughs> they all. They still don't. <laughs> so apparently, apparently Hartman has turned this whole thing. The Williams is apparently a cop killer. Well... Hartman has turned it in as not only a cop killer, but he's a, uh, a communist sympathizer as well. <laughs> and so he's turned this whole thing into sort of a, what do you say? Oh, what was the slogan? It was, a, we'll reform the red with a rope. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I didn't even catch that. Mm-hmm. So he plans on using this hanging as a sort of a message to any commie sympathizers mm-hmm. in the city. Uh, well, the boys definitely have a lot of fun with Piggy, <laughs> as they call him. Now, this is actually one of those scenes that why, why they are chiding him and everything. This is one of those moments where I think some of the directing that um, Milestone kind of seemed to be known for mm-hmm. is very uh, fluid camera work. And <laughs> it was, I mean, it was something I really noticed. What's really awesome about this film, most of this film takes place in that press yes. room. And there's very few moments when that camera is standing still. It's almost always kind of moving around. The people in the room are always moving around. There's lots of conversations over the other. And in this scene, oh my gosh, you get almost, I mean, if you're prone to like motion sickness, <laughs> why they're chiding Piggy. There's someone in that getup. How do you suppose he feels listening to all this rebellion? A lot you care how he feels. We're doing everything possible to, to get your whole ticket reelected next week. Yes, when Earl Williams drops through that trap tomorrow, it means a million votes. Can we help it if the people rise to support this administration stand against the Red Menace? Personified by Mr. Earl Williams, the guy who loses the job he's held for 14 years, joins a parade of the unemployed, and because he's goofy from lack of food, waves a red undershirt. Williams is a dangerous rascal, and he killed a policeman. Williams is a poor bird who has the tough luck to kill a colored policeman in a town where their colored vote's important. And they're hanging Eddie Deaver in the morning. Shirt on Pinky. And I don't want to hear any more of that Pinky stuff. I got a name, see? Peter B. Hartman. I mean, they keep singing like singing this song. And as they do it, the camera is going up and down on their faces yeah. and up and down on, on the sheriff and, it, and up and down on their faces and going around in a circle. And it sounds very Blair Witch, but it actually isn't. It's very, you can <laughs> tell it's very carefully thought out and they, 
the point is, you know, that it's just this constant thing. They're haranguing this guy. But it's you mm-hmm. also get the impression that it's a thing they do often because they do it so right. well. <laughs> exactly. And the fact that it, you can tell that it really annoys <laughs> the Hartman. <laughs> You kind of get the impression, though, that everything really annoys him. <laughs> ah, that's true. That's true. Well, while he's there, Hartman uh, mentions that there is going to be a psychologist coming in to examine Williams uh, to find... I don't really know what the point of him coming in to examine him, but the boys even ask him, the reporters ask, like, what if they find him insane and then they won't be able to hang him? <laughs> And Hartman says, that guy is as sane as I am. And one of the guys is like, more. Yes. <laughs> Hartman passes out uh, official press releases. Gosh. Tickets and to the hanging, isn't it? Oh, that comes later. Oh, gosh. First, he, he passes out uh, some press releases. <laughs> and all the reporters use them in, in their own special way. Uh, most call their papers. Uh, one says he knows the best way to use it and heads to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the situation on the eve of the hanging. Oh, this is Murphy. More slap on the hanging. The jail, the municipal buildings, the railroad terminals, and elevated stations to prepare for the expected general uprising of radicals at the hour of execution. Sheriff Hartman has just put 400 more relatives on the payroll to protect the city against the red menace which is leaving Moscow in a couple of minutes. Sheriff Hartman, the sheriff, has just received four more letters threatening his life. If he's going to answer by a series of raids. Prove to the voters that the Red Menace is on the square. Sheriff Hartman has just written himself four more letters threatening his life. Yes, yes, I know he wrote them on account of the misspelling. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, I, I know he wrote them on account right. of and the misspelling. One guy says, uh, <laughs> he's telling them, oh, don't say his name, but I'll just say the sheriff. And then another guy, you know, he says, right. what, what'll, what'll he say about it? Oh, it doesn't matter what he'll say about it. He can't read. <laughs> there is some really fantastic dialogue in this film it's very quick so it's kind of one of those where the first time i watched it actually it was very hard for me to watch it Mm -hmm. and my my brain grows goes my brain grows let me try that again Mm, my brain goes pretty quickly but this one it's, it's so full of dialogue you can tell it was it started as a play that's just so intense on the dialogue and I, that's one of the things where I'm sorry that the quality of the films that are out there or, or copies of this out there, the audio it's is the one thing that suffers rough. the most. I totally agree. And actually, that was what made it the most difficult for me to watch was mm-hmm. how rough the audio was and how yeah. uh, it tends to be very loud or very quiet. And so you're either mm-hmm. straining to hear or you're kind of leaning back a little <laughs> bit. I found that um, Amazon has a copy that visually is a little is quite a bit better, but audio wise it's only a little better. Uh, it, the level is consistent, but it's still often very muddy. Mm-hmm. So when you have these scenes of a lot of people talking over themselves yes. or talking and kind of mumbling, which is pretty consistently through the whole thing, there is a lot of both both physically stepping in front of each other and also speaking over one another, which I think is a lot of fun, and it's not it something is. I. It's not something I would expect or, or anything that I've seen from a lot of films of this era. You know, you mentioned that this that's kind of a trademark of Milestone is that, you know, he has this kind of more complex directorial style. And, and it's interesting because you mentioned that, but I hadn't noticed it until you were talking about it. And now mm-hmm. I'm thinking back 
through the film and going, oh, that's really true. That's something that I wasn't. The good news is you don't just notice the direction, but once you are paying attention to the direction, it really is very well done. It's very complex. Well, while they're making these calls, in walks Molly, a, a woman of questionable morals. I think she even uh, self-describes her as a streetwalker, a common streetwalker. She walker. does, yes. Mm-hmm. Apparently, they, uh, she's a little mad at the reporters because they've met her out to be Williams's girlfriend, where all they did was actually spend one night where he, he came up to her room, and all they did was sit and talk. She only met him the one time. Mm-hmm. But, of course, they're like, uh-huh, sure you did. She actually was a witness for Williams during the trial. The only witness for Williams. The only witness. She felt that she kind of owed it to him for the fact that he actually treated her really nice. She was very, he was apparently very polite to her and very kind and like uh like she according to her all they did was talk. Oh gosh. I just caught uh gosh, did I Sorry, did I have you watch Parole Girl? This is actually the main... You have not, but I have it. I actually have it to watch. I have not watched it yet. Molly is Sylvia Day and Parole Girl. Great movie, by the way. And I don't know whether or not it falls into our category, but I just caught that this is the same girl. So worth worth noting it. And she's an exceptional actress. Good. I think that film actually came up in discussion on the Facebook page once. As a, as a film to yes. watch. Uh, and no, I don't think it's public domain. You know, it's the strangest thing that I meant to mention earlier that as we've kind of delved into these pre-codes, believe it or not, most of these pre-codes have actually found themselves better protected than a lot of the other films. Interestingly, Because mm-hmm. yeah. nobody's really not... paying attention to the others because they're protected. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But yeah, uh, worth mentioning, this is um, Sylvia Day from Parole Girl. Definitely worth seeing that if you enjoy her at all. Or even if you don't, <laughs> like I said, I actually picked it up. I actually picked up a, a, a copy of it, and I plan on watching it. I just haven't had a chance yeah, yet. I, but I, yeah, I picked up one of these really great sets full of you know, forbidden Hollywood <laughs> or whatever sets, DVDs. Yeah, yeah, and I'm definitely going to go back and watch it again. Well, the boys here aren't all that sympathetic, and they end up throwing her out. And that was kind of a mean and rough scene, and the boys even afterwards, you you know, didn't feel too terribly good about mm-hmm. it. Well, the sheriff pops back in with tickets to the hanging, as you mentioned before. Uh, he skull and uh, Hildy shows back up. Uh, him and his mop. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what happened to the cleaning lady. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she went home. But he, he went home. He comes back in, and uh, immediately the sheriff starts to scold Hildy for throwing stuff out the window, as someone else takes the mop and throws it out the window. <laughs> It's a really great comedy moment. It's that, it's one of those nice little quiet, almost double takes. <laughs> you just can't be throwing it. And he sees the guy throw the stuff out. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's like all the wind just knocked out of the sail immediately <laughs> right there. I love it. Well, Hildy says his goodbyes, starts to say his goodbyes as we see a little, uh, start to see the analyst that's coming to visit the psychologist or whatever, who comes in to, uh, to begin his examination of Williams. Uh, the professor, well, he wants to reenact the crime, and he gets the sheriff to hand his over his gun, which he then gives to Williams. It comes to maybe no surprise to anybody that the professor then gets shot. <laughs> and this is the weirdest scene because it, you know, you you, uh, you get introduced to this guy. Williams is this 
sorry, skinny. And they actually comment on it at the beginning. He only weighs 135 pounds. You know, he's this right. skinny older guy and he's just very unassuming and he just keeps mm-hmm. insisting that he didn't do it. And uh, this professor just keeps haranguing and just pressing and pressing and saying, well, no, tell me about it here. Let's reenact it. Now tell me where you were standing. And it's sort of bewildered. William just gets up and walks over to just almost anywhere in the room. And then all of a sudden right. he has this gun, you know, this gun is in his hand and you can tell he's not holding it. Like he has any idea how to hold a gun. Right. <laughs> and the professor's okay. Now show me what happened. <laughs> <laughs> and of course he gets shot. And it was just as Hildy starts to leave, gunfire erupts and people start yelling jailbreak. And I'm talking gunfire, like machine gunfire, rattling the, you know, hitting the walls. Everyone's ducking under the table for cover and calling from under, calling their papers from under the, under the table. Including Hildy. He jumps <laughs> for the phone and starts calling in the story. It's a very, it's a hugely frenetic scene. It's unbelievable. Uh, Hildy uses the uh, remaining money that he had from uh, that Peggy had gave him uh, to pay off a guard so he can get an exclusive scoop. He calls Burns and tells him, but he also tells him that, hey, I, I just gave him 260 bucks. I need it back. That, <laughs> that wasn't mine. He says, you, I need it back or Peggy's going to kill me. That's the money they're going to get married on. And actually, at this point, I want to know how much further you really want to go. This takes us to about the halfway mark. I don't know if I want to go into any details of a lot of the plot from here on, but there's definitely some moments that I think need I to be talked about. I think it's worth be mentioning that right about this time, Peggy shows up and hears, mm. uh, and hears Hildy telling somebody on the phone that he's got to get the money back. And right. so, of course, the $500 that she gave him to set up for their escape from the city to go set up their life together, she finds out yep. has been spent. Exactly. Yeah. So oh, you lost the money? No, no, no. I've got it. Just not here. Right. <laughs> the boy's bringing it's it right now. Just, just a few more minutes. It's just a few minutes. I've got a cab waiting. <laughs> Do you notice? He knows for about however long Hildy's he, in this he's building. Ten minutes. Just five more minutes. Just fifteen minutes, and it's been like almost an hour already. I've got a cab waiting. I've got a cab waiting. <laughs> the price on that cab is going to be just off the charts. Yeah, it's going to be a little crazy. But no, there are some moments and there are some scenes, most of which just revolves around these very interesting and very different uh, reporters. I mean, it, they're all from different pater- papers, but you can tell there's kind of like an honor among thieves amongst them. And they are still sort of friends as well as competitors. So they mm-hmm. all play, they kind of play together, but play against each other at the same time when they can. And there's, like I said, some great dialogue where there's lots of them. They're talking over each other. You hear conversations in the background while someone else is on the phone. Yes. The one guy, the one uh, reporter does nothing but kind of sits there and plucks on a banjo. <laughs> Eddie. And bar- everyone Ernie. else is calling like Bernie. Ernie. Ernie. <laughs> Everyone else is calling like, oh, the, the 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 accused had his last meal and it was this, and someone else calls oh, gosh, and yeah, last meal and up. it was something yes. different. Every single yeah. one of them has a different last meal for him. And he sits over there and on the phone and go, no more news no on news. the hanging. <laughs> They're all making up all this crazy stuff and he's like, nothing new. 
boing, yeah, playing the banjo. <laughs> it's so much fun. He also, he's the one, though, he's got this fantastic scene that takes place just a little bit after where we're kind of cutting off, where yeah, uh, Williams is missing. They don't know where he's gone. He's, he, he, it's jailbreak. He's missing. And we meet the uh, the mayor. <laughs> and the mayor is having it out with the sheriff. You know, did are you? Yes. Did you really give him your gun? <laughs> well, the professor asked. I thought it was for something scientific. But while they're talking, in comes what's his name? Ernie? Did you say it? one of them? I don't think it's uh, Ernie's the banjo, and then there's the guy that just sits in the back with his feet up the whole time. <laughs> ah, I thought they were one and the same. But anyway. He comes in and he picks up the phone. He starts calling. He's like, oh, uh, this just in from the governor. Um, the mayor and the sheriff are obviously out of their depth. It's yeah. like they're like three-year-olds. And it's a good thing there's an election so people won't have to spend the trouble of um, impeaching them. Yes, and them out. <laughs> and they're standing right there. He's, he's taking it. And he hangs up the phone and he walks up and he, he is like, Oh, hello, oh, Her Honor. But when he does it, he flips right him there. off. Does he actually flip him off? He flips <gasps> him off. Oh, I missed that. But it's that it's that great subtle. He flips him off and then looks at his finger like he's picking something out of his nail. <laughs> it is beautiful. I saw it. I'm like, what? Did he just do that? I had to rewind. Now I'm going to have to go back and look. <laughs> but I love so it because he's awesome. standing there on the phone, standing right next to him talking. And then he hangs up and he's like, oh, hey, how's it going? (laughs) (laughs) He knows they're listening. You know, he's clearly speaking in their direction. Cracks me up. Oh, it's just that that scene alone is worth for watching this film. It just blew me away. (laughs) They're like, oh, my God, he just flipped him off. (laughs) Yeah, like I said, I had to rewind a couple times. Yeah, there's a moment later on in the film, too, where they right near the end where one of them says something and it actually bleeps the word. (laughs) <laughs> yeah but uh yeah oh yeah i think uh, uh, right towards the very yes. end um uh burns is, i was like that son of a yes. he, ha- he puts his elbow down so it makes a noise yes. <laughs> so the table or something it's fantastic i mean this is where i mean we saw some pre-code where it, had, it dealt with some pretty heavy themes with religion and and everything and rain this one is a lot it's more boozing and street walking and gambling there's gambling shown on it some guys are out on the street shooting craps at one point that, exactly. you know murder and, it, and hanging and gosh the total disrespect of the police office of the sheriff and the mayor um the other officer a wooden shoes that comes in co- kind of comes across as a bit inept um uh, yeah, and I don't want to get into details, but Molly's last action in this movie, I I was staggered. <laughs> I couldn't believe. <laughs> I thought, wait, this is, I couldn't believe it was classified as a comedy. <laughs> so, I, I, yeah, just definitely some uh, not necessarily societally polite themes in here. No, but, but it ended up being a fun film. Like I said, I, the audio just makes it a little hard to watch. I mean, I found myself kind of having to, fortunately, the second time I watched it, the house was empty. So I had it like cranked up to 11 or 12, you know, just 11. so it was blaring out of the TV. Yeah, It went all the way up to 11. All the way to 11, just so it's... it was blaring out of the TV so I could hear and understand <laughs> and try to try to glean as much dialogue as I could. A lot of people uh, out there were chuckling at that, Christopher. It goes to 11. It's all right. (laughs) (laughs) 
We'll, we'll get you caught up later. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, a lot of fun. I mean, I had a good time watching it. And it, it, like I said, it was just, I noticed uh, the direction more. I noticed the camera movement. Very seldom did it sit still. <laughs> Only when it was really on Peggy and Hildy having a really deep conversation did the camera really sit still. If there's stuff going on in the room, that camera is always moving. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's really amazing for the time. Well, it's definitely... You know, this, they didn't have the dollies. They didn't yeah. have... I mean, the cameras weighed, you know, 500 oh, pounds, you know, and everything. And they had to be moving them around and and, and quietly because you, you didn't <laughs> have, you know, all the uh, the ADR and things like that as, as that kind of was developed later. It was just a really amazing little piece of work. Well, it definitely, and it reflects the attitude in the room so much. Mm-hmm. I, you know, the the motion of the camera actually reflects what's going on with all the characters that are that are involved in the scene as well. Yeah, very much. Oh yeah, you couldn't just have it just sitting there and watching it. Then it really would have felt like a play it, or like chaos. <laughs> exactly. Or chaos. Wait, everybody's <laughs> running in different directions. Exactly. Yeah, that's what's actually a lot of fun is like when the boys are around the table and they're having their conversations, they're on their phone, they're all static. Yes. I mean, they're just sitting in one place and they're on the phone. And it's the camera that does that all is, the movement. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's that's something I, think I hadn't if, noticed, but you're absolutely if right. If you did this on as a play, I think it would be very much the opposite. You'd you have, have to have to people have up and walking around and moving or else it's just people are going to get bored watching people sitting around yeah, the table. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so very interesting. Well, what do you think Othel-wise for this one? You know, you you did manage to change my mind a little about, uh, about it. Originally, I was going to give it a lower score. Um, the first time I watched it, as I mentioned, I struggled a little bit. There are a couple of scenes where you have two characters, uh, Hildy and um, Mr. Burns. Burns. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hildy and Burns are, are talking, and they're both kind of shouting information into the phone and I struggled a little bit um, whether I had a a headache or whatever. But anyway, all that to say the first time I watched it, I, it didn't make as much of an impression on me as the second time. The second time I watched it, I definitely appreciated it more. I knew a little bit more of what was going on. There's so many characters in it that at first don't really know who the important characters are. Once Mm -hmm. you know, really this is revolving around maybe four or five main people. Then and really, it's interesting because I did not realize that the main characters really in this are Hildy and Burns. I kept waiting for Peggy to come back in. And she does, mm-hmm. but she is not the dominant character in this situation. She's not the one that's directing everything else. It's actually Burns. And you don't really realize that. Or I didn't realize that at first. So anyway, all that to say, huge preface to say, at first I was a little misled on the story. So I was not as impressed with it at first as I was the second time I saw it, but talking about the direction, you have improved my opinion of it. (laughs) So I will, I'm actually going to out of five, give it a three because as we mentioned, it's, it's some rough film quality. Mm -hmm. There's not, while the camera action is technologically impressive, I think the biggest part of it is probably the dialogue. Uh, right. So I would maybe argue that the play might be a little bit more the the best part about this movie might be the material it was taken from. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So definitely not a bad score by any means. I, you know, 
this is one of those where I wouldn't say I'd never go back and watch it again. Um, it's not top on my list of things to go back and watch, though. So I think a three is fair. Okay, yeah, very fair. I was originally, I think, if if you could find a copy that had clean audio, where you could really pick out everything, uh, I would easily give this a four. Uh, but I think you're right. I think with the audio issues that it has, it just, it just makes it really hard to recommend it just carte blanche for everybody. Yeah, but I think I'm going to go with you. I think I'm going to give it a good solid three. Really, I mean, honestly, if you have the time, I really would recommend it, but just know going in, it can be a bit of a struggle to really get everything. Yeah, I, I wish I had a script that I could just read, <laughs> kind of read along. I would even caveat that to say, if you are or are friends with a newspaper person or a, mm. a, a reporter of some to- some sort or a writer or interested in this time period, I think that all of those are valid reasons to watch this. Um, or if you're just bored and like old films. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, this is a slice of um, it's an, era. A, an industry mm-hmm. and, and everything that, that is time. quickly fading. Yes, yeah. It really is. So, and, and I think that especially, you know, for any of you that have seen Newsies, <laughs> I know you weren't <laughs> expecting me to say that, but you know that there was a period of time when sensationalism was really what sold papers and that was what showed up on the headline that was what showed up on the front page and i think this is a really good indicator of sort of that culture uh, that oh yeah culture. absolutely so i think you know and it's i think it's fun to see that background behind it and, and i mean obviously later on with uh what gosh uh it wasn't Stuart granger it was the other fellow and um Catherine Hepburn, you know, doing, oh, Cary Grant, wasn't it? And Catherine Hepburn <laughs> doing the remake of this, you know, which was more of a romantic than this one was, um, a romance rather. But seeing that culture and how the stories came to be and the different takes on it and the different angles and, you know, why one writer, one reporter chose to go this way and another reporter chose to go the other way. And, you know, ultimately who made it big? I, it's just interesting and kind of fun to see that background story behind the story. It is so much fun because you know these guys are quote unquote reporters, <laughs> but honestly, they're they're making they up as up much as they are, all as, as, almost all of it, yeah. and and that is that is or was how well honestly some will argue is I guess today. But, <laughs> I mean, what? Like you said, it, I mean, some <laughs> things don't change. Sensationalism sells the it papers really, or sells yeah. the ad space. You know, and today that's all about trying to force a desire for security but once upon a time it was more about trying to find out the the scary parts and now it's you know anyway <laughs> yeah <laughs> we won't go down that rabbit trail that much let's say no it hasn't it really no, hasn't just, the the method of delivery maybe has changed yes. but the uh yeah but the sensationalism still is what sells yep well, then I guess that is going to do it. Boy, this one felt like it really went by fast. It did. I agree. Well, I mean, it did a little bit. We've been talking for about 45 minutes, but um, yeah. <laughs> well, and like I said, there was just so much. There are moments that I don't want to ruin for the film. And when you get beyond the halfway point, you start to develop, get into some bit. And there's some, 
it goes from everything for this real interesting commentary about the newspapers, or, or and then a comedy, and then it's this. It's very serious. And then it kind of goes almost. It's yeah, some serious, and then then it's practically slapstick at times. And, and it was and, a weird. I, thought, I think that was part of what put me off about it a little bit was interpose inter yeah interposed with these really well humorous but also kind of quirky moments are some very serious, very kind of dark moments. And, mm-hmm. and I wasn't sure exactly how I was supposed to be feeling because they come so close together. They they're so right. closely spaced that it's hard to know. It's, you almost can't get a breath between them. Yep. Absolutely. Well, still fun film. Yes. So, um, yes, definitely, uh, check it out. If you get a chance, mm-hmm. uh, don't rush out. Don't feel like you, you know, this is one you just have to see. But honestly, yeah, if you've got if you've got an hour, what an hour and forty minutes or something like that, yeah, why why not? And if no one else is in the house and you can really crank up the volume, so you can hear everything. <laughs> Chicago. It reminded me a little bit of Chicago, actually. Mm, okay. I mean, mostly I... because of the whole, you know, the hanging and the reporting and the you know, all of that. But for some reason that the whole time I kind of had that feeling of it being a, of, you know, the newspaper industry being a, a production and same with Chicago. I think that's a great analogy. And honestly, I think you can probably, anyone that watches this, I'm guessing could come up with an analogy of their own. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> like, yeah. Chicago. Absolutely. Like I said, it, it reminded me of things like Barney Miller, mm-hmm. you know, even Kolchak and anything that revolves around a, a group of people that kind of have to work and, 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 um, both compete and work. And it probably would remind me of those if I had ever seen them. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> thus the age difference, Well, um, you know, mm-hmm. exposure difference. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You should definitely check out Colcheck. Anyway, <laughs> all right. Well, thank you everyone for listening and downloading. Uh, we, of course, really appreciate it. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this film if you do go yes. ahead and watch it uh, or any of the films that we've covered. Uh, honestly, don't feel if you've just kind of joined the podcast and you've gone back to listen to some of our earlier episodes, first off, sorry. I think we've gotten a little better. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. But, uh, uh, Definitely don't feel like you, uh, oh, they talked about that months ago. They don't want to hear. No, we do. We want we want to hear from Absolutely. you, so please. So that is going to do it. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, we'll talk to you next time. You. Bye. <laughs>